3: Now get 0% APR or up to $1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM. WFAN New York.
4: Hi everybody and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. I'm your host Rick Wolf. Well I, I have to admit it's uh, it's kind of nice to get that extra 30 minutes of sleep this morning uh, with this rare 7.30 start of the Sports Edge and we'll be talking with your calls and comments right here all the way until 8.30 this morning. But I want to get to our topic today right away because I have to tell you, I get pretty heated about coaches who just don't get it. Now, did you happen to read the story this past week about the men's basketball coach, Greg Marshall, at Wichita State? Marshall has had great success at that school. In fact, he's the winningest basketball coach in the school's history. And as a consequence, he was earning more than three and a half million dollars a year to coach there. But Marshall resigned from his post due to an investigation that came up with all sorts of accusations of abuse of his players, some of it physical, most of it verbal. And according to media reports, Marshall was accused of punching one of his players, attempting to choke an assistant coach, and even trying to punch A student-athlete from another sport who happened to park in his parking spot. There were also uh, serious allegations about Marshall poking fun at a player, about his body shape, making racial comments about a kid at at, uh, Wichita State, a basketball player who happens to be of Native American descent, and also uh, he made some uh, taunts apparently about a kid who's Hispanic. Now, this past year, Wichita State saw seven or eight players, basketball players, uh, enter the transfer portal because they all clearly wanted to get out as well. So with that kind of background, and again, these are all allegations, but obviously uh, an outside law firm came in, and this is the conclusions they came up with. But I ask you, how in the world is it possible that a college coach in this day and age or for that matter, a high school or club team coach, because I hear reports of abusive coaches at those levels as well, how could they still somehow think that he or she could do and say these things to their players and not be fired? Are these coaches not reading or not aware of the stories of, oh, golly, let's say a former head basketball coach, Mike Rice from Rutgers. I mean, you recall that story. We did it. We covered it here on the Sports Edge some years ago when Rice was caught on video abusing his players, throwing basketballs at him during practice. He was abusing them both physically and verbally. I mean, it was just gut-wrenching to watch those tapes of his practices. And then there was the investigation into the A.D., uh, Julie Herman, also at Rutgers, who, it turned out, had been accused of verbally abusing and taunting her players when she had been the head volleyball coach at the University of Tennessee. So how does this kind of terrible behavior happen and why? Is it is it just about having a sense of power as a head coach? That is, that these coaches know that they control the hopes and dreams of the players, and that somehow the coaches are then given some sort of free license to say and to do anything they want around them? Now, last Sunday, I delivered a a Sunday morning sermon on this show about teaching our kids to be held accountable for their actions, for what they say and what they do. And that stemmed from the hockey player Mitchell Miller who had bullied a classmate in eighth grade. And it ended up costing Miller his chance to play pro hockey in the NHL and also cost him a college scholarship. Remember this, coaches, and of course we hammer this to our kids all the time, but apparently it has to be hammered into the coaches as well. Everything these days is videotaped. Everything about your career can be researched on the Internet. And of course, your players, the kids you brought into your program, the kids you recruited, they see what happens in your practices and they see what happens in the locker room. It's all out there. It's, as, uh, it's just clear as bell, uh, clear as a, as a bell. And, and the problem is that coaches don't seem to understand this, and I can't understand why. Now look, most coaches do get this. And I don't want to be fair about this, we know this, most coaches do understand that they have to be held accountable and should be raise their game, raise their behavior to a higher level. But again, a lot of coaches just don't. So I'm going to turn this show today to turn the spotlight on the coaches. Just as young athletes are held accountable, so are you. And honestly, it's just not about being held accountable for your won or loss record. It's more than that. Coach, the difference is you're supposed to be a fully functioning adult, a leader, someone who who sets the right tone for your players, uh, especially if you're at the college coaching level. I mean... I I, I I think that's perhaps, unfortunately, either forgotten or, or just sort of pushed off to the side in our hopes and dreams to have a great uh, one-loss record. Or maybe we're just so ambitious to get to the next level uh, in terms of being a college coach. But no, at the end of the day, and maybe this is just sort of forgotten, but the fact is you're supposed to be a leader of men or women and you have to understand that you're representing the college or the high school or the club team to be in such a way that it's held at, at high esteem. I I, I just I guess that stuff, either it doesn't count for anything anymore or that people just aren't paying attention. In any event, going back to Greg Marshall at Wichita State, I mentioned he's making $3.5 million as his annual salary, which I think by most accounts is a pretty good payday. He's being paid close to $8 million by Wichita State to leave. You heard me, eight close to close to $8 million. So why in the world would Wichita State agree to doing that, especially in light of all these charges against this coach? I mean, it's one thing to have a losing record and to be fired for not being successful. And you get, all right, you, you tried, you worked hard, it didn't work out, you get a severance package. But do you still get paid millions and millions of dollars if you are being let go because you abuse your players? I mean, how does that make any sense? And from what I read, most college coaches can be fired for cause, which obviously would include things like verbally or or, uh, physically abusing your your kids, uh, your players. But most colleges apparently don't want the hassle or the negative publicity to to be sued uh, by a fired coach. So I don't understand why that happens as well. That's a different issue. That's a legal issue, but apparently it happens all the time. The question I have for you today is, and again, this we've done this on the show before, but this is another case where I have to ask because it's right there in the headlines, and there's a lot of it's a big time program with a very very successful coach. Why does this happen? Are our coaches not being educated or taught properly? Why don't they understand that they're working with, they're not working with, with uh, professional athletes, they're working with young adults. Again, sometimes we, we, we watch college sports uh, on television, we forget that these are not uh, people in their, their late 20s or early 30s. These are youngsters in their late teens and early 20s. They're just trying to figure out how, how find their way in college and how they're doing in sports. And they're happy to be in a, on a college team, have a chance to play in the games. But obviously, some of these coaches just don't understand that what what they're dealing with here. All right, let's talk about this this morning. As you can tell, I'm I'm pretty pretty fired up about this because I think this is a huge issue that unfortunately doesn't get doesn't get enough uh, discussion uh, in terms of our, our kids and coaches and what we expect of them. 1-877-337-6666. That's our number, coaches. It is not it is not a fine line between being loud and assertive and motivational, as opposed to being sarcastic, demeaning, or making snide or racist remarks to your players. And honestly, if you get angry and frustrated, well, that doesn't give you the right to grab or to choke a player or a coach. And again, the sad truth is, these cases of coaching abuse are just the tip of the iceberg, and we're talking about what happened in Wichita State, but unfortunately it happens pretty much everywhere. Now, just to be perfectly clear coach you cannot at any time physically grab shove push hit smack or do anything else along those lines with your players even if it's in the heat of battle or you feel that the kid just did something wrong during a tight game or in a practice it's just not allowed plus quite frankly it's not coaching that's not coaching it's just venting your own frustration and it shows that you don't have control of your emotions and you can't use the excuse that you're just super competitive or that you're that's the way you're built that that's the way you're wired nobody wants to hear that it's just not a satisfactory excuse or explanation for your actions and then on the verbal side you have to understand that you can't be sarcastic or demeaning or think you're being funny or make any other personal comments or insults to any player on your team. Now, yeah, as a coach, you can be loud, and you can make your points emphatically. but there's a big, big difference between being a coach who's loud and a coach who verbally abuses or taunts his or her players alright three three seven sixty six sixty six. I want to talk about this today because, again, it's, it's, it, it, just, it just drives me nuts that I see this happening all the time at the at the college, high school, and club level. Let's start our conversation this morning with uh, Hall of Fame coach uh, Jack Smith. Jack, good morning. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing pretty good, Rick. How are you? I'm fine. Um,
4: Jack, I know this is a topic hey, hey. we've discussed many times in the past, you and me. That's, let's get into it again.
1: Okay, well, you know, first of all, thanks for this extra half hour. It really helped out. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, first, let, let me just start out, and I have a few things to say, and I'll say them as quick as I possibly can, which a lot of friends don't believe that can actually happen. But <laughs> we we should all try to remember that more good comes from athletics, not bad. Yes. All right. Losing a game is not a bad thing. It's a learning experience. And we learn from our wins, not from our, we learn we we don't learn from our wins. We learn from our losses. And too many of the too many of these high pri- uh, profile coaches feel that winning is 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 everything. But there are many coaches at every level, I believe, every level that feel intimidation tactics or tools that will lead to success. I, I I don't get that, but it's not as simple as saying like. um, you know, these coaches have an anger problem, and a lot of them do. It's that they think that these tactics and styles of coaching actually work. But as much as I feel coaching and teaching um, with those kind of tactics um, are inappropriate, being intense doesn't always mean being abusive. Mm-hmm. All right, but But plus, it's been proven that athletes that are coached by fear – and are afraid of making mistakes, do not perform at their highest levels. Correct. And most of the time, between the ages of 9 and 15, they wind up quitting. And last, and this I think is very important, and you touched on it in your opening, that I feel that most coaches are not educated in coaching. They're not. They get in because of their name or their stardom or even who they know. They start at the bottom, they win, and they work their way up. And taken an extra step and this is something that i've studied for a long time because i've been listening to you for more than you know close to 20 years that they really have no idea about the philosophy of sports and coaching and today times have changed like you just mentioned you know everything you do you're being watched and videotaped you know and these coaches It's all about ego. It's all about maybe how they were coached. You know, we we said something, I said something to the other day about the old saying that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Well, it's the same system in coaching. Most coaches coach the way they were coached or treated at home. Okay. And, you know, I don't always want to put the blame on the parents or old coaches, but it's something that we pick up on. And it's, People like this coach from Wichita and all the other coaches, Rice, and they do not belong working with kids at all. (laughs) I don't care, young adults or whatever, but this is also maybe a good lead-in to a future show, something that you've discussed many times about parents picking schools and club teams for their kids. Don't always research the wins and losses. Who cares? Seriously. Seriously. Look at the coaching staff. Look at whether these guys produce young adults, whether they produce good kids that are learning life lessons. Because coaches like these guys at Wichita, they didn't. I'll put money on it. And I said something to you the other day that if you a 100 coaches if they've ever taken a course, not a class, but a course in coaching, 85 to 90% would say they never did. Jack, me, and that's me, what's happening. We're me, getting uneducated. The, we're getting un, un, uneducated people when it comes to coaching. Let me, let me I uh, apologize. No, all no, no, good let, me, let me let me
4: chop up this a little bit because you make some excellent points. First of all, uh, I agree with you. I think most uh, knowledgeable sports fans and coaches would say the same thing: that uh, sports, you you, le- you learn a lot more when your team loses than when they win. When Definitely. you win, everybody goes home happy. Nobody cares about there were mistakes made or, or errors or whatever. But when you lose, you have to sit down and focus on what went wrong. And obviously exactly. that's a great, great learning opportunity. Um, but as you also say, you know, intimidation does not lead to winning. I mean, it, it, you can't have a coach who's going to come into a, a locker room after, after a loss or the next day and say, okay, let's look at the videotape and start chewing out their players uh, because that's just – trying to intimidate and uh, to your players, it's not going to motivate them. It's not going to get them to learn. It's not going to want them to improve. It's just you having a chance to vent your spleen, and that doesn't help anybody. Uh, so coaching by fear doesn't work. Maybe coaching by fear worked back, you know, when we were growing up, uh, but not not now. Kids don't want to hear about that. They want to hear how, how great they're doing, how much progress they're making. Uh, the, the other concern, quite frankly, is, as you said, you mentioned that, it's not about taking coaches taking classes. It's about coaches taking courses. And, yeah, I, I do think uh, we know there's lots and lots of classes out there for uh, people who want to study to become a coach, physical education classes, and so on and so, so forth. But the actual courses themselves, I that's where we think we may be somehow losing, or there's a disconnect there with the coaches learning their job, learning their apprenticeship. Just being an assistant coach, doesn't necessarily – it shows you the ins and outs of uh, the day-to-day of running a practice, but is that really where they learn uh, from the masters and how to coach kids? I just don't know. I, I think we have yeah. to sort of go back and, and reexamine that.
1: That might not be the case. I mean, it might be, listen, as teachers, we have to go do our student teaching and we have to practice for a year with a mentor, you know, coaching at the highest level. I'm going to say, forget that what I just said, at the lowest levels (laughs) should have to do that. When we're coaching our youth, you know, the coaches at the pro level and and the D1 and the big colleges, you know, these guys get in based on their name or their success and things like that. But why not? You know, why not have a, a program, a mentoring program for young coaches coming out of college? I, st- I got my first coaching job when I was my first year out of college. I graduated in 1975, and I had a I had a head coaching job at a, at a soccer school in Passaic um, before I even graduated in, in August. And here I am, probably almost as old as half of those kids because, you know, these guys – where, you know, we're 18 and 17 years old, and here I am, 21, getting out of college, 22. So, you know, we need to be mentored. We need to be taught the right things. You know, reading books, pick up your book. Pick up, you know, your Secrets of Sports Psychology book. You know, watch, go online, video, do things that are going to educate you. You know, times are different. When you played and I played, if a coach touched us, grabbed us, yelled at us, You know, we didn't go home and tell Mommy and Daddy because they'd yell at us too for what we did. But nowadays, you can't get away with doing these things. You're being watched and videoed every single minute that you're out there. And you know what? And it's the funny thing that bothers me. When these coaches get caught and they now are getting reprimanded and the schools don't want to fight it in court so they give them a severance pay of $8 million, you know, then what happens? You watch. You watch. Players of his in the past are going to start coming out and saying, you know what, he was. Ten years ago, he was the same way. Twenty well, years ago, he was the same way. I'm glad that, you brought that, that up. bothers me.
4: I, I'm glad you brought that up because Marshall uh, is uh, 57 years old, and I don't I yep. would imagine, I would assume, Jack, that he was probably the same way throughout his entire coaching career, uh, and nobody yep. ever had the, the, the guts or the gumption to call him out on it. But as you said, right. most coaches, they, you wonder, where they learn? Did they just learn from the way they were coached when they were a kid growing up? Uh, is, is it something they just do, they think is instinctive, that, okay, this is how I'm going to handle a situation? Or they feel that their, their job is so precarious that they have to really just drill it into the kids uh, and intimidate them uh, through fear to win and never make mistakes? It, it's just bizarre. I, I I just don't understand, you know, why why this goes on and why athletic directors, athletic programs, don't do more homework and investigation on the people they want to hire. I mean,
1: I uh, you know, at the highest levels they don't do that. I don't I don't get it. And before I leave, I just want to say one more thing. And this yeah. is this is something that I've discussed or mentioned on your show. You know, teaching, learning disabled kids for over thirty years, and 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 children of the handicap. You know. I worked with a lot of kids that had impulsivity, and a lot of these coaches might have that. They all, they also might have anger management problems. But the point is, is that even a kid with impulsivity, no time to react, they just react. They no time to think, they just react, can be taught. And I had one real quick. I had a student that was impulsive. That was before Christmas. From September to Christmas, he was sent to timeout more than 37 times. Well, I was asked to sit and start talking and mentoring this kid, and I did. And I taught him that he could think before he spoke and think before he acted. And when I used to say that to them, they always used to say, yeah, but what do we think about? Well, on the other side of the card, said, think about the consequences to what you're going to say or do. The problem with these coaches, they don't think. They just react. And... It's controllable. I, Whether they realize it or not, it's controllable. Thanks so much, Rick. Jack, thank I love you. the show.
4: Thank you, as always, for your, your insights. It's great. Uh, and and uh, yeah, thank thank you, Jack. Uh, we'll talk to you again uh, You're next welcome. week. Welcome, Rick. You bet. Uh, you know, and just to underscore what what Jack uh, Smith was just saying, um, and and you know, Jack, uh, who's a you know regular contributor to the Sports Edge, and you know, I agree with a lot what he has to say, and I hope you do as well. Um, Yeah, if you have difficulties in controlling your emotions, and you're going to be in a leadership role as a coach of young people, whether it's at the collegiate, club, high school, uh, youth level, whatever it might be, if you have a hard time in controlling your emotions during the course of the game, or or things aren't going your way, or you're frustrated with the player's uh, actions, you ought to consider that maybe you're not in the right direction. Job. I mean, it's as simple as that, because coaching is all about communication. And, and if you can't communicate well, you don't have the power, to the ability to, to communicate well with your kids, uh, and you just get, you know, bubble over with emotion, and you get angry, and you lash out at them, you're not doing anybody any good. Now, you might be, you might be a brilliant tactician when it comes to X's and O's, and you may have great insights with strategy and so on and so forth. I get that. But you know, this is going back to the days of, of Bobby Knight. Everybody acknowledges that Bobby Knight was a brilliant basketball uh, tactician, but he wasn't particularly good in terms of the heat of the battle and the way he dealt with his players and so on and so forth. So, I mean, why do we? Why can't we have a situation where our coaches are really great people, understand the responsibility Of being educators because that's what they are and dealing as as leaders with our kids that's the win-win situation we want and kids who play for coaches like that they do respond and chances are they will then in fact have a a winning record but this kind of situation and again we hear about it so much so often it's just at a point now if I'm an athletic director at a big-time college program I'm gonna do some homework about you know who I'm hiring uh, and I, you know, because everything is videotaped these days, because everything is is on the internet, you can do your homework and do your due diligence to see what's going on. I Remember, I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago about the uh, the former uh, athletic director at Rutgers, uh, Julie Herman. We did a show about her. I mean, she was hired with great, great fanfare over at Rutgers, except then a bunch of her former volleyball players when she was the head coach at the University of Tennessee, well, they came forth, had the courage to speak out, and they accused Herman of having been verbally abusive when she was their coach. And that led to a serious investigation. Mind you, Herman was already working at Rutgers, and ultimately Herman left her job. But, of course, she, too, left with a substantial payout of more than $1 million. Uh, I mean, I, I again, uh, it's not that I... Don't think coaches shouldn't get severance packages, but I do have a. I scratch my head and you say, "Well, this person left because uh, things just there's a history here of, of, of her being a bad actor." And I just, how, how does that happen? How how, how does that, how does a school do that and and justify paying somebody uh, that kind of money when in fact uh, a lot of her players said no, she was just uh, abusive. Let me go quickly to uh, Ed over to Elizabeth. Hey, Ed, you're next up on the fan.
5: Boy, that's an honor to follow Jack Smithlin today.
4: <laughs> yes,
5: that's a little different, Ed. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, it's amazing how coaching is in, as, as a former college coach. You know, yep. today you can do something wrong and you get get a, get a, get a severance package that you can retire on. Uh, it's, correct. It's, of it's course. It's amazing. And I fought, I'll be honest, I fought that with the athletic department, not doing their due diligence in homework before you hire someone. Again, like, like you talked about. You're, you're 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 hiring people because of their records and all that stuff. Here's a perfect example: Rick Pitino got another chance.
4: Exactly, exactly.
5: You know, and uh, like right now, I'm coaching for a baseball organization, US Elite. You know, and although I've been a college coach and a travel coach and all that, they had to do do, do background check on me. They had to do check on me. I had to even do like a like a webinar, a thirty minute webinar on the process of how they want us to coach the kids in this organization. And, uh, you know, that, that's the way times are now. It's not about, hey, you know, I, I'm going to recommend, recommend you because this, you work hard, you know the game and all that stuff. We're at a point right now, you really got to do your due diligence uh, investigating these coaches. You got to everything. And uh, it, it's amazing. We, there was a famous coach in Jersey. Once these sports writers and this is the problem, once sports writers get involved with this, they're looking to make a name for themselves yep. and, and, that, and, that, and that and that's the truth on it. We had a legendary coach in New Jersey uh, and, and wound up he, he wound up getting terminated because all because a sports writer started a story and it it, it it got blown up on that and it, it, well, it, it's amazing you, you got to stay away from sports writers. You gotta stay away from Twitter. You gotta stay away from Facebook. And again, the famous uh, cell phone camera. Because once that happens, and it gets out there, I'm going to use the
4: term. You're screwed, unfortunately. <laughs> Ed, let me let me uh, stop you there because I have to uh, have an update. I think go right to. ahead, Rick.
5: Have a good day. Thanks, Ed. But I will
4: say that mentioned that we're seeing more and more programs now saying, "Okay, we're, before we hire you, you're going to have to take a course and really understand how we're going to we want you to coach our kids." Uh, it's as simple as that. This morning, we're tackling the. The topic of bad coaches who say and do stupid and hurtful things to their own players. And as we saw uh, this past week in the case of Greg Marshall from Wichita State, the winningest basketball coach in their school's history. Well, he got fired, uh, or he, I should say he didn 't get fired. He resigned uh, from he lost his highly paid uh, prestigious coaching job because of a list of alleged physical and verbal acts of abuse he 's done to his players over the years and, and you just You just simply scratch your head as to why, but again, I, you know we, we talk about this, and i I, I drill this all the time. You know coaches, we talk about our players being held accountable, our kids teaching our kids to be held accountable for what they say and what they do and, and, and uh, you know what, what, how they how they act uh, we 've talked about this endlessly with social media, and kids put out stupid stuff on Twitter all the time, uh, but kids are kids these are grown ups these are real live grown ups who are our coaches and, and it just i don 't understand how they don 't have the ability themselves as adults as so called leaders to think before they do dumb things. They just don't seem to understand uh, there's going to be blowback and they're going to be held accountable. I mean, when I was preparing my notes for the show, what about coaches who lie on their resume? Do you remember when George O'Leary was hired to be the next football coach at Notre Dame, only only to be fired when it was discovered that he had exaggerated his credentials on his resume? And as I recall, he claimed... He had lettered for three years as a football player at the University of New Hampshire when apparently he never even made it into a game. He also claimed to have a master's degree from a school that doesn't even exist. So when Notre Dame found out about these exaggerations on his resume, well, he was let go after only five days in the job. The question would be, of course, is why did Notre Dame do their due diligence before they hired him? I have no idea. And then there was the Yale uh, former head football coach, Tom Williams, who claimed on his resume that he'd been a finalist for a Rhodes Scholarship. When it turned out he had never even applied for the prestigious award. When this all came to light, he, he too was let go from his head coaching job. Look, we all want to get better and more prestigious jobs, but we're all, and we're all very competitive when it comes to sports. But when you start to consciously lie in your resume, I mean, you're doing this on purpose. You're doing this. You know you're you're exaggerating. I think it's more to fair to it's more than fair to say that you really are going in the right to, or going in the wrong direction. All right, let's 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 talk about these situations because clearly it, it really is very very uh you know disconcerting to me and I'm sure to you as well. Let's go over to uh let's go to Rob in Lake Success. Hey Rob, good morning. You're on the fan.
2: Hey, good morning, Rick. Thank you for getting me on here. And I got to tell you, following Jack, one of the most brilliant calls. I mean, he's fabulous, and he gave so much information. We were texting before this when I heard the topic, and I mean, Chernoff, he's listening. He needs he needs a, a one time show to just just go on because he he's got so much knowledge, and, and thank you for letting him get on because <laughs> I I learn and listen to him. He was um, very good. Let, let me let me touch on a couple of personal things on what I'm thinking about here, and you know because. I started as as a phys ed teacher and teachers go through education courses okay yep. we have to go through student teaching all right yes. you actually you become a coach usually as a teacher because you want to make some extra money doesn't mean you have to you might not know the sport but you hopefully learn you, you 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 read about it before you get in front of the kids but the teachers at the high school junior high school level they have the at least they have the education courses they're in a classroom during the day they have kind of some kind of true background they have a degree very, very different, which bothers me when you brought about the club, you know, the club coaches. They're just people that they're usually parents. They're ex-athletes. They're just regular people that want to do this and hopefully they want to help kids and teach kids, but there's no background. You know, Ed mentioned something of background checks. I don't know what's really going on now with background checks. I mean, hopefully they're having that. We need courses. We need, um, you know, some type of criteria for those kind of You know, for those kind of coaching positions, because the teachers, yeah, they have the background. Now, the D1, very, very different. You know, as you you said, they're getting picked because of their background, whether they were great athletes or they, you know, they worked their way up to the ranks. It's a whole different ballgame at that level. I was thinking I brought up, you know, Bobby Knight, you brought up, Woody Hayes got, you know, remember what he did on television. He he was hitting a kid, I think, during one of the games. He
1: punched
4: punched a linebacker from from the opposing team.
2: Was I don't know if it was Michigan against Michigan, but I remember watching that that on television. Rick, the point basically is, coaching is it's not about winning and losing; it's about lessons in life. Some of my greatest memories are my coaches. My you know grow, you know being in college, competing, high school. My coach would say to me, "Jump!" I'd say, "How high?" And I think the the coaching has gotten to the point now that it's all about winning is everything. I just want to add one last thing because it kind of is very different. You were talking about the hike, hockey kid. The hockey kid is a youngster, and I kind of disagreed a little with you because he went through his hopefully his man his anger management. He was a minor when all this happened. I'm not saying what he did was good. It was horrible. It was it was horrific. But he, as a youngster, hopefully he had the ability or in his youth. To get over his mistakes, it's very, very different when we're talking about adults, full I, adults. And I kind of feel like that kid, or that young kid, possibly will be picked up anyway if they feel he's, you know, legitimately a good enough athlete.
4: I think that's a, that's a. I'm glad you brought that up. I used the the, the Mitchell Miller case as a situation uh, because he was he was 14. Right and 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 he went and he was convicted of two misdemeanors and he went through he he apparently went through all the sentencing he had to do uh so theoretically he had paid his debt to society but again 4 years later they're still holding this against him as opposed to a guy as you said a, a grown up a teacher or a coach who's in their 20s or 30s or older they should know by that point right from wrong and they have to be held accountable just as this kid was held accountable for his actions at age 14 uh look we know it's changed a lot since we were kids growing up. Uh, for one thing—it's it, uh, the money level for college coaches is extraordinary. It's gone to the roof. But again, we, the, the 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 basic tenets—and Rob, thank you as always for your—you your got it, thoughts. Rick, and have a great weekend. Thank you. You know, we're all the the the, the basic tenets of coaching are still about communicating and motivating and doing it in a positive way so the youngster walks away and says yes i can i can reach that next level i can reach that next plateau it's nothing to do with saying, well, you know, I'm just uh, here because I have, um, I know I'm loud. I know I, I can be over the, over, go across the, you know, the line occasionally. No, that's not coaching. That's just giving in to your own personal issues in terms of having anger management issues. And that's not right. Uh, let's move on. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Brooklyn. Jerry is standing by. Jerry, good morning. You're on the fan.
0: Good morning, Rick. Some interesting perspectives about coaches and using it as, uh, intimidation uh, on kids and Mm -hmm. life learning lessons i'd like to take it to a different uh, level i'd like to focus on the college level i too have wondered over the years when a coach is abusive or something is discovered i asked myself how did it go on for so long i think of joe paterno and jerry sandusky joe paterno knew what was going on and so did a number of other people And my point is, I think on the college level, it's a business. It's about how many kids you can get into school. It's about recruitment. It's about how much money some few coaches think of themselves as the big-time earners. I mean, why wouldn't a college president step in? I'm sure he heard some of the things that went on. Why didn't the athletic director step in? Do you think if a kid went into the human resource department and filed a complaint against that coach that they would have the intestinal fortitude to call that person, that head coach in, they probably would fear it, thinking that they would lose their job. Right. So I think it's about big business on some college levels with some college coaches. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, Jerry.
4: And again, you make a good point. I mean, uh, uh, I think it was Rob mentioned a few minutes ago about uh, like, Rick Petino who was just hired you know, to be the new head uh, men's basketball coach at Iona. Look, Patino's track record, his one-loss record, is uh, extraordinary. We all know that, but he also has a, a checkered history in terms of NCAA infractions along the way, and, and obviously he's done his best to try to show that, oh, no, that wasn't me, that was somebody else. Or so, so it, regardless, he's got a checkered past, and we all know that. Uh, the fact is that, however, it is a big business, Iona – being a, a mid-major type of uh, university with its men's basketball program, they were looking to get him make a big splash. They bring a Patino, and right away the, the ticket sales uh, have gone to the roof. Everybody figures he's going to be—he's a proven winner. The fact that he may, you know, he may, you know, uh, cut some corners with uh, the way he recruits or, or college uh, student athletes and so on and so forth—we don't know. But the fact is that, that, that it's all about big business, and that is a real concern because, honestly, uh, that, that's where we are these days. It is a big business, and, of course, the kids themselves, the, the, the athletes themselves, they're looking to this coach to get playing time, to get a, a pat in the back, to be looked upon as somebody who's making progress. But the last thing they're going to do is, if you're a college kid, is you're not going to ever you know, say anything to anybody in the administration about the fact that the coach is you know, being verbally abusive in practice or is grabbing kids or so on and so forth. It's just you're not going to do that. Uh, you may transfer out like you know, seven or eight of the kids did at Wichita State. They said, well, I'll just go someplace else. This guy obviously is um, not the kind of coach I want to play for. But it is a real problem. And, and as I said, parents – are reluctant to talk about it as well because they sort of said, Well, we went here with great expect. My kid went to this program with great expectations. We didn't know the coach was a nut. And as simple as that. Let's move on. Let's go to uh, Frank in North Massapequa. Hey, Frank, you're next up on the fan.
6: Coach Wolf, always a pleasure on a Sunday morning. A little intense, but I'll take it. I- I'm-, I'm all <laughs> in with you.
4: <laughs> yeah, I get excited about this
6: kind of stuff, Frank. No, and rightfully so. There's a lot of cases. You no, know, there's always bad coaches, no question. And we've got to eradicate them and screen them. And I wish there was a universal rule on how to find that, it, but uh, it's case by case. But the thing is, I've, I've coached um, high school and club level. You know, I took their proper classes, which help. People think it doesn't. It really does helps you uh, adapt. And the, the way, to, what helped me is isn't every kid and every coach is, is different, but every kid to me is, some of them, you can tell them, Positive reinforcements, and some of them you have to stay on top of. And to me, a good coach is adapting to the player. Now, abuse, of course, is not acceptable. I don't care what the kid does to you or doesn't do on the field, whatever. But you have to get through them properly. Now, there are ways of doing it, and self control of a coach is obviously sometimes very hard, and some people go the wrong direction. And as a mature adult, you have to stay on the right side of the fence. Because you don't want to run into that situation. Of course. But, um, in defense of um, certain coaches when they have um, contracts, you know, all those things being fired, all, all that's all pre-written in contracts. So if you do get let go, some people say $8 million, you let them go. That's ridiculous. But you know what? You can blame the college for that, too, for negotiating that contract before he can. That's, that's on them. Frank, I, I can't I... blame anybody.
4: I I agree with you. I do blame the college for doing that because all these contracts have, uh, you know, for cause uh, as a reason why a coach can be let go with with, uh, very little severance. But from what I understand, I'm not a lawyer, but from what I understand this, the way this works is that the colleges say, well, we'll just come up with some sort of uh, package uh, which is going to be a lot of money because we don't want to go through the problem, the hassle having to go through a lawsuit to fire this guy. It's bad publicity for the school. It makes the administration look bad for hiring this guy who turns out to be a, a bad player, bad actor. So it, it's it's that's on the college. And again we're talking right. we're talking about millions of dollars here. Uh when right. you know, a lot of kids are you know, let's face it, are hopelessly in debt for college right. tuition and you know it, when, it loans. Money, yeah. when it comes to
6: that type of money. When it comes to that type of money you've got to be careful who you hire. I mean it's I very, I
4: it's, You know we're I'm in agreement. T- Frank I g I gotta take a quick break but uh I hear you thank you for your call. I Appreciate it. Okay, let me take a quick time out. When I return, we'll talk more about this, uh, this hot-button issue about bad coaches and, and what we can do to prevent them from, from being hired. 1877
3: 877
2: 337 6666
6: New York's number one sports
4: radio, 101.9 FM. The band. WFAN. Hey, i uh, back here on the Sports Edge. Just to remind you again, if you're a coach, at the high school or travel club team college level you have to understand in this day and age everything is videotaped i mean everything everything is recorded everything can be found out about you and your background on the internet on twitter social media everything so that should be enough of it alone to make sure you basically Act like an adult at all times, because if you don't, you're going to find yourself in a very, very difficult situation. Uh, as obviously we've seen with all these coaches we discussed this morning, most notably today, uh, the resignation of Wichita State men's basketball coach Greg Marshall, uh, the winningest coach uh, in the school's history, who leads under a very serious cloud. Let's get back to our calls. Let's go to uh, to Lou over in Lindbergh. Hey, Lou. Good morning. I'm going to ask you. You're, you're a college coach. Thank you. What, what do you make of yes. all this
7: stuff? I've been coaching uh, college soccer for over 30 years, and uh, I wish I could make $8 million, to tell you the <laughs> truth. I haven't even made that in my whole lifetime. <laughs> Not even close. But uh, I think that college, most coaches, college coaches especially, they don't do this for the money. I mean, if to be honest with you, it costs me money to, to be coaching at all. But uh, one thing I've learned through all my years of coaching is that words are powerful. When you say something, you can't take it back. Correct. And if you grab, push, shove, curse a player, you are bullying. You are intimidating. You're not a good human being. And you know your players won't even play for you if they see that you're not a good human human being. But uh, you could be arrested for these allegations. That's why I'm really surprised that the, the Wichita State coach didn't get more uh, sanctions against him uh, from a legal standpoint. But um, as I said, it's coaching. Is so important to deal with the players, to use the proper words, to show that you're professional. When you start cursing, you're cursing your life, and you're not showing that you're a professional. You're just anybody else that, uh, that doesn't do the right thing to, to, to help students uh, in their lives.
4: Lou, I, 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 again, uh, knowing of your background and you've had coach for a number of years, I do agree with you that most college coaches, high school coaches, they don't, they're drawn to the profession not because of the, the, uh, promise of great riches. They go to it because they like sports. So they, it's a passion for them and they like working with young people. Uh, and they all want to work together to get to the next level, to improve their game. Uh, and there's great joy from that. Uh, but again, it, it once you, once you fall, you know off that, that 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 sense of doing the right thing, as you said, you start uh, cursing or saying things you shouldn 't say to young people. You cannot take that away. That's there, and that, that's a real stain that's going to have an indelible effect on the young person's life, and obviously it's going to have an effect on the coach's life as well. Um, yeah, we all get frustrated. Yeah, we all get angry. Uh, things aren't going our way, but at what point do you say, wait a minute, I'm, I'm really lost, uh, I've lost my way here as an adult and as an educator, and that, that's the problem.
7: I mean, it's so important to really show yourself as a good human being, when you coach, yeah, people, I... a lot of people don't understand that. By showing yourself that you're a good human being, you'll get a lot more out of your players. Believe it or not, and they'll learn a lot more. And believe it or not, they'll take that into life. They'll see that you handle yourself well, you handle the kids well, and you handle situations well. And when it's, uh, it'll just make a, a big, in, big impact on their lives if you if you if you act like a nice person.
4: I couldn't agree more, Lou. Th- thank you as always for your thoughts. Thank you, Rick. Rightly appreciate it. And and you know, uh, I, I just want to recap a little bit here because this is, as you know, if you've heard the show this morning, this is a very, very important topic for me. And I, uh, I was a sports parent. I'm sure you agree with this. And if you're a coach, you feel the same way. Uh, obviously, I've been a college coach. I've been a professional coach. Uh, I've been a sports parent, and still continue to be a sports parent. Th- this is important stuff. And and I know it, it's amazing how college sports, uh, club sports have grown in terms of being financially uh, opportunity, uh, opportunistic in terms of big money. Uh, and that's great if you can get a situation like that and you, you deserve that kind of job and you, because of your record. But the record, your one loss record is not enough. You have to take into consideration what kind of person you are, as Lou just said, what kind of impact you're having on the kids you coach, Uh, you know, I I think that is the critical takeaway here and somehow we have too many coaches, not all of them, most coaches are great and they understand this and they get this, but there are a lot of coaches out there who unfortunately just seem to have lost their way as to what the right priorities are in terms of being held accountable. One loss record, that's one sense of being held accountable. But the overall impact of how you treat your young people in terms of you know being a coach and being a leader for them, that is even more important in terms of being held accountable in the long run.